I always tell Dave, I'm, I appreciate when he goes out of town because it gives me time to stand up here and do what I do best and run my mouth. And nothing forces me to be in the word more than when I have to speak in front of other people. When I have to be some type of an example to try to encourage others. And I very much appreciate it. And we're so glad if you're visiting with us. Thank you for being here. And we hope that you don't hold what I'm doing against us. And that please come back when Dave's here. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles, um, I'll be beginning in Exodus chapter 3. Something I've personally been looking into over the past few weeks, I made a couple personal changes, and I no longer have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter on my phone. I've become much less stressed out. It's been quite nice to not have to think about what other people are thinking about things that they may not know about. So in doing so, I've spent more time uh, in books and in interviews, and I came across an interview of a gentleman named James Mukiyama. And it's uh, James retired as a two-star general from the Army in the United States. And he retired in the 80s, um, or early 90s, excuse me. Uh, he served through Vietnam as an officer. He was a captain um, in Vietnam and served under Colonel Hackworth, who is a legendary colonel from Vietnam, and he's most notably known because of his stance about the, against the tactics that the United States was using um, be, uh, towards the end and after the conflict. Uh, it basically ended his career in doing so. And so uh, at the time, Captain Mukiyama was working underneath him. Uh, regardless of his stance on that conflict, what Colonel Hackworth was known for was his leadership. His leadership was unparalleled during Vietnam and what the people underneath him saw him do. What made uh, General Mukiyama a little bit different is as time went on, what he came to have as his daily mantra was, was different. He found that from learning from Colonel Hackworth, but also through his time as leading as he continued on in the Army Reserves, and he was a reservist um, for an additional 25 years after serving in Vietnam and becoming a two-star general and leading multiple battalions, uh, including Special Forces Reserve Battalions. Um, and, some, and over half of his battalions as reserved served in De Desert Storm. Uh, they were chosen over active because of the preparedness that they had. Um, and he had three main points to his leadership. And that was to lead by example, to be caring, and to have balance. I want to focus more on the example and the caring this morning. As we look at what makes leaders. As time went on, General Mukiyama came across uh, what he created was his daily mantra. And this became tested when in the 80s, he was shaving and had a chest pain. And after that chest pain was not subsiding, he and his wife went to the emergency room, come to find out he had had a heart attack. His main artery had been clogged 90%. So as many people are familiar, he had an angioplasty and they put a stent in. Afterwards, 
His uh, cavity around his heart filled with fluid, so he had to have another tube inserted into his chest. And after that, his kidneys began to fail. He had to go on dialysis. Every time, if you've been in the hospital, and the procedure is whenever someone comes in to check on you, to give you some type of medication, to do a report, what is your name, what is your date of birth, and how do you feel? And every time I get to the how do you feel, General Mukiyama replies, every day is a great day. I have my faith, my family, and I live in the finest country in the world. Even in the hospital, each and every time, that was his reply. In that order, every time. And it got amazing reaction, obviously, from the people around him, from the nurses, from the doctors. The first time going into the operating room, before they put him under to do his stint, asking the question, the nurse then asked, well, what's your faith? Well, I'm a Christian. And as time went on, more and more people saw this in him. And regardless of where we stand as individuals, I think it's important that when we look at the qualities of great leaders, whether leaders know it or not, the majority of what they're teaching and what they are preaching has many foundations and almost from a high number of which are from the Bible. I'm going to be looking at two that we're very familiar with, and it's Moses and Jesus this morning. And as we're in Exodus chapter 3, something that's spoken of largely in part due to the time in which the scriptures are written is a comparison of how shepherds act with their flock. How shepherds care for their flock. The actions that they have with their flock. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. As we're looking in Exodus chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites' cry for help has come to me. And I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh 
so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. As that conversation continues, Moses implores to God that he is not fit. But as, we, as I look at this situation, and we know the history of Moses, being the shepherd for Jethro, and understanding the weight that that carries of caring for the sheep and the flock alone. We know, continuing into Exodus, what Moses is going to be doing. And that is continuing to be a shepherd for the flock of God. Continuing to be the shepherd and the leader and the protector for God's people. And as time goes on in the scriptures and as centuries go on, even into the day of Jesus, the leadership of Moses grows because of that. It grows into a, a space in which Israel is essentially waiting for Moses to come again. Not for someone else, but they want Moses because of who he is and what he did. Regardless of his infirmities, regardless of the fact that he actually never stepped foot in the promised land, he was the shepherd that led them from, his, from Egypt. He was the shepherd that took them. As we move along into John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus expands upon the role of the shepherd. I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. He's showing the relationship, the valued relationship. The, while we may think a shepherd might be something that's outdated and lowly, the very simplistic breaking down of this is the fact that they know the shepherd leads them and cares for them. The shepherd leads them by example of where to go. That is why they're willing to follow. We understand who Jesus is now. We have the word in front of us. Very simplistically, we need to follow that. We have seen the path that has been placed in front of us. We understand that he led that path. He created that path. And it is our job to follow. We need to recognize his voice. And if we don't recognize his voice, it's only for one reason. Because we don't hear it. We're not in the word enough. As we continue in verse 7. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and out and go in and out and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come so that they may have life 
and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired man, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I am laying down my life, so I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. At the time, people listening to this are not understanding the fact that Jesus is literally saying he is going to be laying down his life. He will literally be beaten. He will literally be put upon a cross and killed. But he's also showing them as multitudes have followed and seen miracles. There's a reason you're following me, and that's because I'm willing to do this. I am willing to to lay down my life on my own accord. I am going to do this. As a leader and as a shepherd, Jesus shows here how much compassion he has for his sheep. Even the ones who are not in the fold, the Gentiles, even those who are not in Israel. He wants them to be one. He wants to lay down his life and protect all of them. He wants to make it so they can be together. That's a leader that shows the compassion and the caring. That is the path that we have been shown. That is the path that we are to follow. So in most cases... We look at leadership and we look at this in this and if we look at just the church alone and the, what we are in. Well that's great, Ken. Leaders are elders and deacons and we have the preacher and and different co- uh, congregations have this set up based on the scriptures. The foundation of this is for all of us, for men and women. If we look at Titus chapter 2, Paul explains this. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. To be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine dignified. We all have a role in this. Roles are different. Wherever you have a job, A career, even if you're volunteering somewhere, there is a hierarchy put in place for a reason. Whether it be in a hospital where you have administrative staff, doctors, nurses, volunteer work, 
Each person has a role that they need to take care of. And that role is their flock. As we do here, it is our job to look out for one another. If I'm up here not preaching sound doctrine, it is up to the men to come to me. If we have troubles with children's classes, it is up to the women who teach those classes to come together. We are all a part of this. And we are this way because we've been shown that path. We've been shown the path of what the Good Shepherd does. And even beyond that, in our everyday life, when we have struggles, we're shown in James that we are to bring those things. When people are sick, bring them to the elders. Bring them to your congregation. Let them be prayed over. As we see in Acts chapter, at the end of Acts chapter 2, after the first sermon, in Acts chapter 4, those who were in financial need were not in need in the first, after the first sermon. That ended. Because everyone who was there who had sold it so the, the, those who did not have had it. There was not anyone with need at that point. If we look at Matthew chapter 9. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Why would sheep be weary and worn out if they don't have a shepherd? Would they not just be free grazing and running around and being happy-go-lucky? If you don't have your shepherd, you are not being protected. If sheep don't have their shepherd, whether it be thieves or wolves or coyotes, even in today's day and age, those who run cattle understand the importance of this, that have open pastures for their cattle. There are mountain lions if there are wolves or coyotes or coming, they need to be vigilant. It is up to that shepherd to be vigilant to do so. Jesus saw these people are following and coming to him. And they are so weary because they do not know me. They are so weary because they do not have anyone. At the synagogues, they are weary. Because those who are claiming to teach the old law are not doing so. It has been corrupted. With Christ, we have an ultimate refuge. That regardless of our trial, regardless of the temptation that has been put in front of us, we have that refuge. We have the shepherd. It does not matter what physically happens to my body here. It does not matter how tough my work becomes and how I feel I may be toiling and spinning tires and not getting anywhere. Because if I go to the scriptures and follow the scriptures and follow my shepherd, I will have nothing more that I need. His grace is sufficient. We see that he himself went through those, as we discussed this morning when Henley was teaching the class. He himself fasted. And when he was at his physical body was at the weakest moment 
He then subjected himself and allowed himself to be tempted by Satan in the worst possible moment. None of us would put ourselves into a position willingly that we're going to weaken our physical state, weaken our mental state, and start playing Frogger on 41. Nobody's doing that. We don't physically, we don't, we do not willingly put ourselves in that position. Jesus did that to show us how to overcome it. Pure and simple. And then the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, because he knew what price had to be paid to keep his flock together. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by his wounds. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Being obedient to Christ allows you to hear those words from Peter and take solace in the fact that you have a good shepherd. Having been obedient and been baptized, that is the comfort that we have. To continue each and every day in the word means that we can have that. When I read those words, I can look at myself and I can look up and I can say every day is a great day. I get to wake up knowing that the son of God came here in flesh to die for my sins. I have the opportunity Every day to serve him. And I have the hope that I can live in him forever. Every day is a great day. I hope that each and every one of you can look and understand that. Is it a great day for you as well? You have the opportunity, if you haven't, to make it one. We have water prepared. We have a congregation that if you need prayers, we are here for you. Come forward now as we stand and sing.